anyone knows that pleasure separated from purpose will eventually become it will not satisfy it will be meaningless but once the sex within marriage being it is the um the greatest expression of intimacy two people could ever experience it is about being known intimately and knowing another image bearer in in the most intimate possible way like when people talk about sex they talk about it as if it's a bad thing or a um you know like god god is some cosmic prude up in the sky and i'm like god invented it he created he didn't accidentally create us with a sex drive he didn't sneeze on the day of creation like oh no whoops i gave him a sex drive what am i going to do now it was he created us with a sex drive and the ability to have attraction on purpose hey what's up welcome to the union podcast my name is Brian Pugh and I am co-founder of The Union Movement. And if you're new here, The Union is all about helping people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered and holistic approach. We are so glad that you decided to join us here, and we hope that today's conversation is just really encouraging, life-giving, equipping for you in your walk, and uh, just really leads to your flourishing in your life. That's what we're all about here. Uh, Bonnie is sitting down with Nikki Dent in this episode. This is episode 79 already. We are hitting 79 and we are so glad. And you might notice there's a trend here. Nikki Dent is also from Australia. Our last guest, uh, Daniel Principe, is from Australia as well. We are excited with what God is doing in Australia and uh, just some of the great teaching and perspective that's coming out. Um, from the people of God in Australia. So we're glad to have Nikki Dent. But before I introduce her officially, I want to let you know something that is coming up in November, November 17th and 18th. We are having our inaugural Union Conference. It is a conference geared uh, for young adults, the ages 18 to 30. Probably not going to check ID if you're over if you're over 30. But um, it's all geared around having gospel-centered teaching around sexuality, identity and relationships. So this is going to be a two-day conference, a Friday evening and most of Saturday. Um, this is going to be geared to having some refreshing times of worship in the presence of God. And then we're going to jump into the word and just really see how we can be faithful followers of Jesus, walking out of shame, walking out of guilt, and just re really living in the beautiful design um, of sexuality and, and identity that God has for us. And also experiencing the redemption that he has for us when maybe we haven't lived in line with those things. Um, we're really excited about that. So early bird pricing does end as of October 1st. So as the time that you're probably listening to this, the price has gone up. I'm sorry, friends, uh, but it is still uh, very reasonable and it will be going up again November 1st up to $55. But right now, if you go to our website or even just follow the link that's in the notes for this episode, you can get your ticket for $45. And uh, we'd love it if you do that. This is really, uh, I think, vital for what's going on in our nation and what's going on in our generation. So we want to be hosting an event that's just really dynamic and life-changing for you. So be sure to check out that link in the notes or visit theunionmovement.com and register today and tell your friends. It's going to be a fantastic time. So as I mentioned, Bonnie sat down recently with Nikki Dent. Nikki is a pastor, Bible teacher, and traveling preacher uh, who lives with her husband and three daughters in the East Coast of Australia. She has passionately taught on sex, dating, and relationships from a Christian worldview for over 10 years uh, in Christian leadership academies, discipleship training schools, and churches and young adult ministries. She is an author as well, and she's recently written a book called Breaking Up with Babel, or as we find out that the Australians say breaking up with Babel. 
You learn something new every day, friends. But she's written a book that tackles the conversation around the gospel of sex, dating, and relating in a culture of confusion. And it's honestly just such a great conversation that that Bonnie has with Nikki. And there's so much we can glean glean from it. So I hope that you enjoy it. Here is Bonnie chatting with Nikki Dent. All right. Thank you so much for being with us here, Nikki. We're so glad to have you on the podcast. It is so good to be here all the way from down under. Yes, across the world. I was thinking you you're already you're already at tomorrow. So you are yeah. actually <laughs> speaking to our audience from the future. So we I it's am. an honor you can just share your insights about <laughs> yeah, what's share my insights from, from 17 hours ahead. That's right. In Australia. Uh, okay, so Nikki, uh, I came across your content. I don't even know. I came across you on social media uh, because mm-hmm. of the the book that you just recently released. I have it here in my hands. Um, Breaking up with Babel. You say okay in Australia. You say is it Babel? Yeah, we say Babel. <laughs> Babel. And so I just I was just so pleased to see that just honestly the truth that you're releasing uh, in this book but then also in the social media sphere. Can you just tell us a little bit though, why, like why this message? And uh, oh, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing with this message? <laughs> Such like? a big question. I, I love that. I love that. Well, a little bit of background is on me is I'm a pastor and a Bible teacher, um, have been for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And I have been teaching on sex dating and relating for 10 of those years. And people ask me, like, are you a sexologist? Like, why do you teach about this? Why do you write about this? I'm like, no, I'm not like particularly passionate about sexuality. I'm passionate about the Bible. And to be a Bible teacher, you have to teach into the prevailing issues of the, any generation, the generation that you're born into and are stilled off. So um, to teach on sex and sexuality and identity and gender and all these things is um, crucial for any faithful Bible teacher, I think. And so for me, why this message is because um, it is the area that is under the most assault, I believe, in our generation. Um, and so the topic, you know, has been surrounded by shame and, and controversy, um, but it was never designed to be. And so, uh, the only reason people feel shame around this issue, um, and brokenness is because, um, it's been so corrupted and perverted. And so people have all these distorted feelings around sex, but, um, I'm so passionate about this because when we grasp that sex and sexuality are good, they're good because they image a good God. They're created by a good God. And so sex is wholesome and it's blessed and it's pure and it's holy. It's a gift from God. Um, When we learn about it in that context, it's not awkward or shameful at all. It's a beautiful and pure thing. It's a joyful thing. Um, And so for me, Uh, It brings me so much joy to teach on this and my huge why behind teaching on this is because after, and interrupt me at any time, but after 10 years of teaching this to young people, right, um, what I've learned is if we don't teach on it, if we don't teach God's view of sex, um, you know, if we put our head in the sand, if we try and avoid it, it becomes 
one of the greatest stumbling blocks for people to both come to Jesus and just in their personal walk with him. But if we do teach on it, and this is my experience, if we get it right and we do teach people God's view of sex and sexuality, it actually becomes one of the um, greatest open doors to the gospel, the greatest open doors to the gospel, because it's such good news. God's view of sex is such good news. And also we are facing a generation with probably the most sexual brokenness we have seen in centuries. And again, the gospel is really good news for anyone who's broken, right? Yeah, I love that. I feel like there mm-hmm. is a lot of pressure even, you know, in this sphere for Christians to be silent. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, don't, don't offend people. Like this is controversial. You could get yeah. canceled. Um, and I just feel like if we, like, if we stop talking about this, then the brokenhearted never find out that there's room for them to. Right. And, and persecution was never supposed to be something that stops us from preaching God's truth. (laughs) Right. We don't have the most popular message on the playground. We have the most powerful message and the only Mm. message that transforms people. So if we're trying to do this to not get canceled, we're just in the wrong business. (laughs) We're in the wrong like ministry, but I'm, and so this is why I tell people and I teach people it's good news. And so when I, go around and I teach these presentations, I call it the sexual gospel. And the gospel means good news, obviously, as we Mm. know. And Mm. the sexual worldview of the Bible is a gospel. It is really good news on so many different counts. And you won't preach it or tell that to people unless you're convinced of it unless you're utterly convinced. So that's why I set out with the book. And when I go around and teach, I'm like, no, no, this is good news. It is a brighter, more hopeful, more fruitful, more flourishing worldview of sexuality than anything TikTok could possibly present to our generation. I'm so convinced. And so this Hollywood, um, Hollywood driven humanistic culture, whatever you want to call it in the West, it presents a shallow parody of sexuality and the activity of sex, in my opinion. I'm convinced Mm -hmm. of that. And because what Hollywood is doing is it wrenches sex from um, the safe and wholesome uh, context that marriage covenant um, is and, and tries to say, oh, casual sex is normal, friends with benefits is normal, porn is normal. And so what our culture is doing is we're trying to get sexual blessing without sexual boundaries. We want the mm-hmm. blessing. We don't want the boundaries. We want the pleasure. We don't want the purpose, right? And, and when we try and separate pleasure from purpose, we get pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what the fruit in the garden was all about. We end up heartbroken. We get rejected. We're broken, maybe not immediately, but inevitably it's always the case. Yeah. And, you know, we know this, the, the the Hollywood statistics, the divorce statistics, the mental health crises, you know, testifies to this pain. And so that's why I'm so convinced and I know the biblical worldview of sex is really good news. It not only gives you... Um, the sexual worldview of scripture not only gives us this rock solid, um, this solid rock, sorry, in the midst of ideological quicksand, right? It's something solid to build your life on, but it's also the kindest and most compassionate worldview because it esteems the person over the experience. It connects the pleasure to the purpose, 
right? It protects both parties. It's healthy. It's safe. It's the most honoring expression and context for sex. And it's the most fruitful and joyful in a spiritual and a biological sense, right? So yeah. all these wonderful things um, make it a, a joyful and a wonderful thing to preach to this generation. And honestly, I mean, even as you're saying this, I'm going, even, you know, we connected online not too long ago and just mm-hmm. even this conversation now, I'm like, Nikki, it's so evident that there is joy on your face, you know, there's joy <laughs> yes. in your spirit. And I go like, yes. you're, you know, you're a married woman, you're a mother, you have an, you have an expression of sexuality, but it hasn't taken over your entire being. Like it's not the fullness of who you are, but it's a part of you. You don't look stifled at all. Like no. I interact, I interact with a lot of women, a lot of, I mean, humans, but let's even just say women. I interact with a lot of women. Not everyone has the joy that you have and you, but you're saying that you've like, this is found in the boundaries that God laid out for you. Mm-hmm. I think that Absolutely. I see it. I know it's in the, in Jeremiah or maybe it's Isaiah actually, but it says like the nations will be, I'm paraphrasing. The nations will be drawn mm-hmm. to the radiance on the faces of your sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. And this is where I feel like, like when you're saying, you know, this is a sexual gospel, this is the good news. I think, and this is like one of the biggest evangelistic tools is when a young man or a young woman walk in sexual wholeness, their coworkers notice their, their, um, yeah. like their classmates notice their family members notice because it's like, you're different and you're happy about it. Yes. Because, because anyone knows that pleasure separated from purpose will eventually become, it will not satisfy. It will be meaningless. But once sex within marriage mm-hmm. being, it is the um, the greatest expression of intimacy two people could ever experience. It is about being known intimately and knowing another image bearer in, in the most intimate possible way. And I think like when people talk about sex, they talk about it as if it's a bad thing or a, um, you know, like God, God is some cosmic prude up in the sky. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. right. I'm like, God invented it. He created, he didn't accidentally create us with a sex drive. He didn't sneeze on the day of creation. Like, Oh no, whoops. I gave him a sex drive. What am I going to do? Now, it was, he created us with a sex drive and the ability to have attraction on purpose with mm-hmm. a purpose. He's an intentional creator you look at the creation narrative not a drop of creation is out of order everything is ordered uh, meticulously to to come together and be fruitful and and the pinnacle of that is in the male and the female it's a beautiful beautiful thing um and so if god is inherently good everything he creates also must be inherently good and we know this about him and so that's why um, I say sex is good because it we it's made created by a good God and sex is meant to bless us. It is created to bless us, right? And it science affirms that it is so good for us when it's in the healthy, wholesome context. It can destroy us if it is done um, in the wrong way, illegitimately. It has right. many destructive effects, but 
Um, it is so good for us. It's good for our sleep. It's good. It gives us endorphins. It lifts our mood. It has antidepressant properties in it. There's so many wonderful things um, about it, and and it's supposed to bring blessing. So it's not hard to feel, be joyful about something that was always meant to be joyful, right? But um, I always say um, sex is like fire, okay? Um, because fire is powerful right? Fire is powerful, which means it has the potential to be both wonderful and dangerous. And I think the biggest lie that Hollywood sells us is that sex is not powerful. And my problem with the world's sexual gospel, if you like, the world's perspective of sex is that it doesn't affirm sex enough. It denies the power of sex. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you buy into that lie, you will misuse and abuse it because when you know something is powerful, you treat it differently. You yeah. handle a bomb differently to a beach ball. Why? Because one is powerful and the other is playful. Sex is both. Sex mm-hmm. is both. And so so I say it's like fire because fire has both these properties, right? It is powerful, okay? So it has the potential to be both wonderful and dangerous. So what do we do with fire, right? We put it in a fireplace. We put boundaries around around it, literally a solid, unchanging, immovable structure. And the reason we do that is not to suppress anyone. We do that because if you don't, the house can burn down and people can die. (laughs) A wildfire can start and and it causes destruction. And so no one is going to protest the need to put fire within a fireplace. And what happens when we do that? It does. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. When it is restrained, within this context of the fireplace, suddenly fire brings warmth and wonder and atmosphere and we gather around it. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing because the power of it is with, is restrained within an appropriate context. And really that's what covenant is. Covenant marriage is the fireplace for our sex lives, our sexuality to flourish yeah. and, and burn with passion and it brings warmth and wonder into a marriage. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You suddenly take marriage out of the equation This because covenant marriage is immovable. It's supposed to be forever this side of eternity, right? It is immovable. It is um, it is a yeah. solid structure. Um, it's not fluid. Okay, marriage is not fluid. It's stable. It's forever, okay? Um, and, and so if we throw that out, well, you know, sex becomes like a wildfire. It, it can call and it people get burned and they do, yeah. they get hurt, they get heartbroken, they get um, STDs, they get they get all sorts of things totally. that can cause damage to the heart and the body. And you and I, I mean, you and I both have had years of experience working with youth, young adults and, you know, and adults or even later, way later into life. And we have sat with them as they cry and process the trauma of those the burns of what have happened and so we're not just like making things up like we actually i'm sure it's the same for you like we have memories of these Mm. heartbroken men and women who are confessing to the things that were done to them or the things that they did the things that they're in the midst of that they're trying to get free from you know um i love that i love i mean yeah go go on Um, well, I was just going to, I was going to maybe take it to a different space. So you go ahead and finish your thought. Well, um, oh, I've always got plenty of thoughts. So interrupt <laughs> them anytime. Um, but no, I was going to say, Bonnie, I'm still in that world. And I, I, 
I just did a young adults conference on the weekend and, you know, every time I'm teaching this in every space, 99% of the time, um, you know, 70% of that room is sexually broken and they've gone through heartbreak in this area relationally, sexually, psychologically, and um, it creates so much havoc and brokenness in people's lives. And we have both witnessed that in people firsthand. We've prayed with those people. We have, you know, discipled those people. And, you know, Paul the Apostle was right when he said, when he spoke of sexual sin in our Bibles, um, he said a sexual sin is different to all other sins. Why? because it affects you in such a deeper way mm-hmm. and 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 the best part um about teaching this is that you get to preach the gospel alongside of it and and the gospel is not just the power of forgiveness which in itself is just such a wonderful mind-blowing thing the cross of jesus but it's not just forgiveness it's also transformation that's right and, and so the gospel offers this transformation and so jesus and this is good for any listeners who have jumped on, Jesus is not afraid of our brokenness, sexual or otherwise. He's not afraid of our confusion, you know, and and there's nothing we have lost that Jesus cannot restore, like sexual purity. There's nothing we have done that Jesus can't mend, right, cannot redeem, like sexual sin. There's nothing we can break that he can't He can't heal, like our heart or someone else's. And and this is what makes it such a joy to preach and teach, right? Because woke religion or this Western culture that we scroll through on our phones, it, it preaches a doctrine of feelings and transition. That is the pagan religion of our times. The Bible offers broken people something real, something real. It's not about feelings. It it offers us acceptance and an unchanging identity and authentic healing through the transformation of Christ. And for me, it, it is it is a form of apologetics. It's like a form of evangelism. Absolutely. You know, I see broken people come in and they're like, wow, there is healing for me. There yeah. is restoration for me. Yeah. There, my, my history doesn't read like prophecy. My heart can be mended and healed. And it's a beautiful thing. It's really one of my favorite things is to be in the room when the healing presence of the Lord comes in. Ugh. And I And yeah. I feel like, I feel like the Lord says like, it's one of my favorite things. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. to rush into the room, you know, when, yeah. the, like, as he said, Isaiah 61, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. Like that's yeah. like on the top of his list. Yeah. And if we don't yeah. acknowledge the things that are really breaking people's hearts, we don't get mm-hmm. to witness that rushing in of his presence that comes. And I just feel like he scoops people up like a father mm. to a, to a child with, you know, who's like scratched up their knee and you know and he just says hey and he, he i see him calm them i see him just speak blessing yeah. over them say hey i see who you really are past all that like mm. here we go you know i see you according to your future not according to your past like you're just saying and what yeah. um um i guess maybe a question something that i really loved that you emphasize in your book and we're going to make sure that in the show show notes we link this book because reading it is like, I don't know, just it's honestly very powerful. So many powerful analogies and just truth coming in there. <laughs> um, but I love, though, that you start with, with this concept of covenant. And you say, like, why does it matter that we talk first about covenant? Why does it matter we talk first about the context for sexuality? Can you, and, and in our conversation, you know, when we first connected, you've mentioned that you 
were raised in under the teaching of a pastor who just preached covenant all the time. And mm. that is not common. And I loved reading in your, in your book. I'm like, this was the teaching that Brian and I actually sat under, not wow. extensively, but we sat in a class about covenant. And there was this uh, when we were in our discipleship school, when we were probably 20, 21 years old. And so the language of covenant, we actually chose and put into our marriage vows. And, and Same. Kind of tried, <laughs> oh, really? We tried, to like, we tried to like teach even in our wedding, like, just like, you guys might not know this, but like, we didn't stand oh up gosh, and do a teaching. <laughs> I'm like, it'd be interesting. But you know, like that was our prayer was like, man, yeah. this is different. The, the language of one person's strengths covering the other person's weaknesses and you'd offer um and you'd say anyway i'm not going to say it i want you to say it you tell me about <laughs> um tell everybody tell everyone listening I'll tell talk everybody ab- uh, talk I about mean, could, covenant i'll talk, talk about covenant it's it's honestly the most important thing that i believe that i teach and again i give all obviously all the credit um, to my senior pastors who raised me in covenant theology um, and from 19 years of age. And so my, when I learned the why behind the what when it comes to sex within marriage, it was in the context of covenant. Everything made sense. Everything made sense because covenant um, is the purpose that and the context that sex was created for. So if you understand covenant, you then understand sex, you understand dating and you understand singleness, you, you, all, you understand all of that. And so one of the, and I'm sure for you too, in all your years in ministry, the, one of the number one questions is why does God command us to wait until marriage to have oh, sex? Yeah, why absolutely. Not, yeah, right? Why not just a long-term committed relationship? And And so according to scripture, the only thing that protects an apparently committed relationship from becoming uncommitted is covenant. Why? Because covenant is unbreakable. It's meant to be unbreakable. That's the idea behind it. So Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that stops that committed relationship from becoming uncommitted. And so even for people who are in a committed, loving relationship, um, Living together and buying a dish rack and and having sex and getting a dog together doesn't secure that commitment. Um, covenant secures that commitment, and so if if we're committed, as we say, uh, we are. Um, we will prove that. We will evidence that by laying down our lives um, in covenant. Covenant secures that commitment. If that makes sense, we will lay about- our lives down for. Yeah. I'm going to say, cause I know people will say, what about like, what if it's just, you know, marriage is just like a piece of paper. It's just a mm-hmm. government, you know, instituted social construct. What mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. what are you saying? Okay, Nikki? great. What do you tell so, them? Uh, I will tell <laughs> <laughs> marriage is, is not a legal construct. Um, sorry. It's not a legal contract or a social construct. It is the covenant and covenant it has been around since time ticked its first talk. Literally, um, God made Adam and Eve in covenant with him and in covenant with each other. They were married when he created them. So to realize why sex is a sacred act specifically preserved for marriage, we have to understand covenant, right? So um, so a co- what is covenant? Firstly, it is a sacred and unbreakable bond between uh, two parties sealed with legal and ceremonial rights. It is lifelong. And so there are several things you have to have in place for covenant, biblically speaking. So I'm going to explain that briefly for our listeners. Um, and so first of all, if you covenant with someone, it's for life. It can't be broken. 
our whole Bible is arranged in covenant. So if you don't understand covenant, you you won't understand why your Bible is even arranged the way it is. It's split into two overarching covenants. We we use the, the Greek term testaments, of course. Um, really, it's actually six major covenants in the Old Testament. And the seventh covenant is the fulfillment and fruition of those six in the Old. We call it our new covenant or the New Testament. All right. So it's all linked together which is why you can't separate the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hello. Come on, um, and, and, <laughs> and so the Bible is literally telling the story of covenant between God and humanity, this unbreakable bond that God determined to have with humanity. And so to make covenant, this is a super important thing, and it's going to be super important for virginity even, is you have to um, – have several things in place in order to make or cut covenant. Um, and so one of those things is exchanging coats. You always did that, which indicated the sharing of bank accounts. Um, you'll see David do that with Jonathan, like or vice versa, when he transfers the kingdom over um, from Saul to David. Um, you exchange weapons, okay, so which symbolize that you would vow to protect one another. It's why God says to Abram, um, I'll be your shield and very great reward. He's covenanting with him. There's an exchanging of names. So they take part of the name and insert it into the other party, which is why Abram becomes Abraham because God takes a Yah from Yahweh and inserts it into Abram's name. So he becomes Abraham. He's covenanted, Genesis 15 and I've never heard that. Well, it's also why Adam, you know, the first man is called Adam in Hebrew, meaning human. But when Eve's in the picture, suddenly the word man in Hebrew changes to Ish. And Eve, the word for Eve is Isha. So Mm -hmm. his name is taken and inserted into hers through marriage covenant. Okay. Man and woo man. Okay. Man with woo. You had to have blood cutting, bloodshed. You always had to have bloodshed to make covenant. Um, the ancients always knew that the only way back to God was through bloodshed, and it's literally why Jesus had to shed blood on the cross. Um, if you don't have bloodshed, you don't have covenant. And then all these other things like the you had to de- declare the blessings and curses. You know, you had to have a sign of the covenant like Noah's rainbow, Abraham's circumcision, you know, the Sabbath. Yes for Moses. You always had a covenant meal. That's what the Passover is, by the way. You always had a covenant witness, all right? So you always had a witness designed to watch over the covenant um, to ensure the parties were keeping it or being unfaithful to it, which, by the way, is what the Old Testament prophets are. And they're always cranky because Israel's always breaking covenant. Because they're having to call it out all the time. (laughs) Always, because they're covenant attorneys or covenant witnesses, all right? And so this is literally the picture we still um, image today in in marriage. And so we share bank accounts because we covenant with one another. Um, we don't exchange weapons because warfare is not really our reality anymore, um, but we vow to protect one another. We exchange names. It's a reason we exchange names. And it's beginning to die out in the name of uh, secular feminism. But traditionally, the reason the woman takes the last name of the man is because she's taking his name and inserting it into her own. It's not an issue of gender inequality. It's an issue of covenant procedure. So a change of name signifies a change of life, identity, um, as two become one. It's a beautiful thing. And it's the reason you have vows. When you get married, you're declaring the blessings and curses. You're declaring in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, I will remain faithful to you. That's what the vows are meant to be. You have the sign of the covenant, which is the wedding rings. That's why you wear one. It's an outward sign of an inward covenant. 
you have covenant witnesses, which is what your maid of honor and um, best man are meant to be. And that's sort of lost in modern culture a little bit, but they are meant to be covenant witnesses to call you guys out, the couple, if you're not going to be faithful to the covenant. Wow. The covenant meal is why, is why weddings are followed by um, a feast or what we call yeah. a wedding reception. And then the bloodshed, and this is a big one, I teach it everywhere. And this references when a woman loses her virginity and her hymen breaks. And so for years, scientists have been bewildered by the purpose of a woman's hymen, which is obviously the membrane containing blood. Uh, not always broken um, when she has intercourse for the first time. Sometimes it breaks for, you know, like the other reasons, gymnastics and and things like that. But but it's it's the Jews saw it as this was the reason it was there. And scientists can't figure out why it's there because once it's broken and the blood is spilled, it never heals again like other parts of the human body. It never fills up with blood again. And no one no one can figure out why, but the Jews knew why. And the, in Jewish culture, it was always that when the marriage was consummated, and not just Jewish culture, actually, like tribal cultures, this is still entrenched in their in their cultures. Um, when the marriage was consummated, the idea was any children born thereafter would be born under the blood of the covenant and inherit all the promises made at the altar in sickness and in health for richer for poorer. So it was actually about children being born under the blood of the covenant. And so it's a graphic and gracious image being presented right through the two human bodies coming together. It's also why it has to be between a male and a female. And But the beauty of this is, right, the beauty of this is, is that no matter what our past or present is today, the bloodshed is meant to point towards a radically more gracious, radically more graphic bloodshed, which was Christ on the cross when he consummated the covenant with his bride, the church. The shedding of his blood covers us and we inherit all the blessings that were made at the altar of the cross. We inherit the blessing of forgiveness, redemption, restoration, healing, restoration, uh, uh, transformation, sorry. Yeah. And so really this is why marriage is a gospel it is, is a, it is a snapshot, a photograph, if you like, an image of the marriage between the bride, the church, and the lamb, the bridegroom, Jesus, God and humanity, right? So that is that is a very small condensed version of why covenant is so important and it being exclusive, it being one-on-one, um, it being for, for this life, for this whole life with one person. The foreverness of marriage, if you like, is even reflected in our physiology and all those hormones that I bet you've taught on as well. Those bonding hormones when it comes to sex uh, that are released are designed to bond us to one partner for life. That's how they work. Yes. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. And we get to, I mean, I think as, you know, you with your husband, me with mine, we, yeah, we represent the bride here on earth. Mm-hmm. And that's, I love that picture in Ephesians where it, it's almost like, like Paul's talking about these, you know, it's, it's about the wife, you know, submitting to the husband, the husband, like laying down his life for the wife. And I know this is strange, but I'm talking about this great mystery. I'm actually talking about, about Christ and his church, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I just, yeah, when we recognize that, then every bride who stands uh, in her wedding dress, she realizes she is uh, yeah, she's this, this momentary symbol of this eternal yep. reality. And it is a, it's like a, 
a solemn and a joyful thing all at once. Yeah. Is what I found. It's sacred. Sacred sacred. and powerful. Yes. That's beautiful. And so I think that even what you're saying here, obviously that informs, you know, someone who's seeking to follow after Jesus and to say like, how do I honor God as a single person, as a dating person? Um, there's a, usually there's like a desire to push beyond. It's like, ah, I'm, I'm drawn to this person. I want to, I love them. I want to have sex with them. But I think like what you're saying here, it informs the why do we restrain ourselves until we are in that place of covenant uh, is because yes. we consider it sacred. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You're you know, marriage is not this flippant thing. It has to be entered. In, it's not to be entered into lightly. So yeah. if you if you know you're entering into an unbreakable covenant with someone, now you've got, you know, it should make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You know, it's this, this holy, beautiful thing. And it is exclusive for one partner as, you know, as exclusive as God is with humanity. You know what I mean? Yes. And um, it gives the the spiritual context for sex. It gives a spiritual context for sex, if that makes sense, and, and shows us that it is a spiritual act as much as it is emotional and physical. You know, it's a tri-dimensional experience. You know, sex is tri-dimensional. Why? Because we are tri-dimensional. We are body. We are soul, which is mind, will, and emotions, and we are spirit. And that's because we're made in the image of a uh, triune creator, right? And so, and so covenant is, if you like, the spiritual context of sex and, and how it works spiritually. And that is cannot be disconnected from how it works physically or emotionally because body, soul, and spirit, we are in, they are intrinsically connected to one another, these elements of our humanity. You can't separate them. And again, when we try, we get pain, we get heartbreak, right? Mm-hmm. So what would be some advice? I mean, this is getting maybe a little bit more practical. What mm-hmm. is some advice that you would give to, um, to people in a dating relationship? How do they how do they proceed and have a healthy relationship that could set them up with the foundation for a healthy marriage? Well, boundaries, <laughs> boundaries, <laughs> boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Um, like that fireplace, like, that, like you're talking about. Yeah. The fireplace, exactly what I'm talking about. And, um, and boundaries turn his commandments into promises. Boundaries are for blessing, not, they're not for restriction, they're for protection and preserving um, something of value. And so my my advice is to have boundaries and before you like learn the blessing of boundaries, you know, le- learn the biblical worldview of boundaries and then implement them, right? So, you know, when I teach on boundaries, I tell people, if you want to spot a boundary, just look for something really expensive. Look for something of really high value and you'll find boundaries pretty quickly, right? Because the higher the value of something, the more effort exerted to protect it with boundaries. And so if you're dating, even if you're single, you you won't protect or guard your sexuality or your sexual attraction if you don't see its inherent value. And that's where covenant comes in. That's where marriage comes in because you're preserving it um, for this, for this, giving away of self and intimacy to this covenant partner one one day. And so so we must understand the value, inherent value of sex um, 
if we're going to put boundaries in. Otherwise, it's just self-will for a start, which which never really works. So, like I said, boundaries aren't so much for restriction as they are for protection. God's not trying to hold like hold back any blessing from us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about trapping something or someone in. It's about keeping harm out, if that makes sense, of our lives. It's about preserving something precious, okay? And so um, I often use this illustration because I made it up and I love it. Um, but, you know, those spy movies where there's always a um, – there's always like thieves trying to steal the big jewel in the middle of the museum, right? Like I'm sure there's a spy movie out there that someone listening can think of. I won't name them though, but you know, so the big jewel in the middle of the museum, like it's always guarded by all manner of boundaries, isn't it? It's got lasers. It's got security cameras. It's got the red rope around it. It's It's gotta be the pressure. Like like if you step near, right? Like the pressure plated uh, flooring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got the big glass case over it. You know, it's a whole thing. And so basically, why does it have all these boundaries? No one can get to the jewel because it's surrounded by these boundaries and those boundaries send a message to everyone else. This is valuable and only the privileged can touch it. So the only person who gets to touch the jewel is the person who can be trusted with it. Now, who's that? That's the museum owner. That's that's the person, the employee who works at the museum who we are 100% certain is not going to steal it or sell it for selfish gain or damage it in their carelessness and their clumsiness. They're not going to misuse and abuse it. They've earned they've earned trust, right? And so um, this is usually an absolute professional who has undergone a process of proving they're trustworthy, right? And so, you know, they got the job at the museum. How did they do that? They went through a series of interviews training and time to ensure their trustworthiness, right? Trustworthiness, I see where you're going with this. You see where I'm going, right? <laughs> I do. This is very good. Because if we're going to talk about dating, hello, mm-hmm. it's just a modern label we use for the process of proving we are trustworthy. We can call it whatever we want because people get hung up on labels. Is it dating? Is it courting? What is it? La, la, la. It doesn't matter. The issue is the person, we want the person we marry to be someone who has proven that they are trustworthy to handle what is most precious and prized. And that is our sexuality. It is our heart, our mind, our body, our our very selves. And so if they have proven through the process of dating, so keep this in mind, people, if you are dating and even if you're single, this this is what you're keeping in mind. Dating is someone proving like the museum owner, the trust, the integrity, the competence and ability required to handle the prized gem of you. And if they have proved that, they can get access to it. But we do not give people permission right up front. No, we don't, because not everybody gets immediate access to the diamonds. Otherwise, it wouldn't be valuable if diamonds were all over the street in vending machines. They would be, it would not communicate inherent value, right? They're mm-hmm. not readily available for the flippant spender. No, they're precious. And I say that because when it comes to dating, we live in an all-access generation. We we define sexual freedom by our ability to give anyone anything we want, We by the ability to give an all-access pass um, to people, to our bodies and our hearts. And, and it's interesting to me that we exert so much protection over things like diamonds and money and, and our PIN numbers on our, you know, to protect our bank accounts, but we, we don't. Um, exert nearly as much protection 
with the pinnacle of all created things, which is ourselves. We are so much more inherently valuable than anything else on this planet. And so when I talk about boundaries, I'm talking about you and your inherent self-worth and the other party, the other person. And and the reason I go on about that is because we'll only guard ourselves to the degree that we value ourselves. We will only guard our sexuality to the degree that we uh, value it and see its value and see its purpose. We won't protect our bodies if we don't respect them, right? We won't put boundaries around our sexuality if we don't regard it as something precious with a purpose. And so my my advice is um, lay boundaries down you know, because this is what dating is for. It is the process of proving someone trustworthy, right? And so boundaries ensure that what is of most precious value is protected. And the ultimate, the ultimate proof of trustworthiness is, of course, marriage. How do yes. I know someone is worthy to have all of me? Marriage. They stand at the altar and they promise and vow to lay their whole lives down for me and I them. That is it. Incredible. I, I mean, honestly, I think back to when I was, when I was a teenager, single and how quickly I could get infatuated, you know, yeah. and you just, and you just only see the good, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, he is just so dreamy. Oh man. He's <laughs> yes. just, he's so funny. Oh, he's so funny. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's, I, it's interesting how, or like he plays an instrument. He plays an instrument, right? you know, that's what makes us compatible is he plays so an instrument. <laughs> and it's like, I just find it, it's interesting. The things that I used to think would deem someone like trustworthy, like, oh, that's the person yes. that I could give my heart to. And yes. That, and this is so important because sorry to cut you off. Uh, I just you had a thought as you were saying that. Um, this is so important when it comes because when we experience attraction with someone, like you're saying, um, something this phenomenon happens in the human brain called vocalism, right? And I write about it in the book because it's this physiological phenomenon where, and literally, um, love is blind, or we, our brain literally gives us these rose-colored glasses. So when you are in a emotionally or romantically, especially sexually charged environment, vocalism takes place where. You will literally focus on that person's good traits to the exclusion of all other factors, right? Or you'll just you focus on the attraction and the infatuation, excluding all other realities. So maybe the fact that he's rude to other women or he's toxic or he has terrible habits, but you're just focusing on the fact that he's attractive or he's he's cute or he said he loves me. And right. and Right. And so my point is your feelings can very much lie to you. Feelings are not a compass. They're a signal. But we are in a culture that it's like, live your truth. Your feelings are truth. We conflate feelings with reality and nothing has been more deceptive because our feelings distort reality so much of the time. They're not a bad thing. That right. God created us with feelings, right? They're part of the soul realm. It's just that they were never meant to be our God. They were never meant to be our shepherd, you know? And so we're being taught in culture to chase feelings and let that determine our course. And God says, no, no, chase truth, chase Jesus. <laughs> let Jesus be your God, right? Process and then that your feelings your- on the journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, Totally. We can't be driven by our feelings because I drive us into the wrong place. And it's interesting, even... um like when a woman has sex 
you know, these hormones are released in her body, like oxytocin in massive amounts, um, which is uh, a, a hormone that causes her to want to bond to that person. Um, and it does many, many things. They call it the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. But even if she hugs someone for an extended period of time, it triggers the trust circuits in the female brain. So long hugs trigger the trust circuits in her brain, even if that person has not earned her trust. It's just this physiological thing that happens, which is why we still have to be careful who we envelop in long hugs, right? Which is, and so I just use that as an example to say, your feeling, you know, the oxytocin surging in your body is, might convince you that that person is trustworthy when they could not be. Right. But you've just engaged with them physically in a way that makes you want to trust them because the bonding takes place. So that that's just an example of how our feelings can sometimes lie to us, right? right. So what is, I mean, I have some ideas, but what are safeguards? Because if our feelings could lie to us, and here's mm-hmm. what I'm what I see in culture, especially towards young women, I, maybe men too. But well, here's actually first. Let me ask you this question: Does that with the oxytocin being released um, in sex and long hugs, is it come in the same levels in men? No, no, no. Yes, I so do know. Different. So yeah. when it comes to oxytocin, um, it absolutely floods a woman's brain when she engages in sex, sexual activity, and it creates feelings of calm and closeness, um, promotes altruism. So that's willing to sacrifice herself for that person she's bonded to. Um, and it is also released in, as I'm sure you know, and I know very well, in copious amounts when she has a newborn baby. Oxytocin promotes obviously labor contractions. Um, and it absolutely floods a woman's brain when she breastfeeds her baby for the very first time to bond her to that baby for life. That's why you cannot deny the mother baby bond. It is to bond her to that little baby for life. The same thing, the same hormone is being released in copious amounts when she has sex with someone. Okay. Um, in men, they still get oxytocin, yes, but the primary hormone that's released is something called vasopressin, um, which is they call it the monogamy molecule or the commitment hormone because it mm-hmm. promotes this um, a desire to commit to one's partner um, and it also inspires a protective sense over one's mate that sort of she's, she's mine hands off that which, which there's a holy context for jealousy totally. as well, yeah. right? You should demand exclusivity from your covenant partner as God demands exclusivity from us. So he doesn't want us to worship all these other gods, false gods. He doesn't know me and me alone because mm-hmm. that's because, because covenant love is a privileged and exclusive love and marriage is a reflection of that. So, so vasopressin is released in men. It, it, it inundates his brain when he has sex with someone Mm. it floods his brain and so it wants him to bond to that woman no matter who she is and what she looks like and that's what it does it it, these oxytocin and vasopressin and throw some endorphins in there throw some dopamine in there they work like physiological super glue to bond two people together and it doesn't actually it, it and for life right and so it's really interesting though when um oh and i might add as well for the men when he holds his newborn baby for the very first time, his brain is also flooded with vasopressin. So it not only promotes bonding between sexual partners, um, but also between father and child. So two different hormones for the male and female, but they to to accomplish the same purpose. 
if that makes sense, which is bonding, intimacy for life. Because father-child, mother-child is a lifelong bond. No one can deny it. And so it is supposed to be when it comes to sex. Very good. Right? But the interesting thing is every time you change sexual partners, the level of hormones produced, bonding hormones, is going to reduce every time, which is really interesting. So then maybe the thrill of affection would diminish. And so then Mm -hmm. I could see that that would lead people to try to then chase after pleasure, like just simply a physical thrill or an adrenaline well, what yeah we see what happens is so let's just call it glue the adhesive the glue reduces every time you change sexual partners interesting it doesn't change every time you have sex but every time you change sexual partners okay so that bonding hormones are going to lessen and lessen and so yes what happens is it leads to this culture we see now of meaningless sex the bond is just not there and what people have to do is do weirder and weirder things more bizarre things to try and make sex mean something or feel like something and the sex toy manufacturers and the pornography websites are delighted in that dysfunction in humanity they they make money off it right Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but it was never meant to be that way it was just your spouse was meant to be all that you needed right because it's more than just a physical experience as we've been saying it's, it's emotional it's it's intimacy it's spiritual and it's all those things but i'll say this just so our listeners have have hope and redemption the, redemption is woven into our biology it's such a beautiful thing god created us with redemption in mind because um when we undergo transformation truly romans 12 2, we are renewed by the trend we are transformed, sorry, by the renewing of our mind. So it is actually possible to renew your sexual metabolism, renew your sexual memories, like your because your brain has a sexual memory. So in other words, renew those hormones is what I'm saying. So yeah, those levels might drop. Um, but say if you stopped having sex with multiple um, people and and you know took years off from having sex and your whole mind and worldview was reshaped and renewed when it came to sex and, you know, um, the way you looked at other image bearers, it's actually possible for those bonding hormones to then increase again. Be refreshed almost. Be refreshed, yeah, but it would take a total re-landscaping of the mind, of the brain, and Mm -hmm. a renewing of the appetite, the sexual appetite. And so, and that is completely possible because the gospel offers the transformation, the renewing of the mind and the, like what I set out to do when I wrote the book and when I teach these things is to change the way people think about sex, change the way they think, because I know that they will, we are transformed when we change the way we think, if that makes sense. That's right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to go back to what we were talking about before with the oxytocin in the young women or women Mm -hmm. and then the vasopressin in men. So if Mm -hmm. women can be easily deceived by their own oxytocin levels, that's that is released in sexual experience or even just long hugs. um, What are safeguards that she can have in place? Because the pressure is for her to navigate this whole thing by herself. So what are safeguards? Either what did you do in even in your dating life or what have you seen absolutely necessary in order to succeed for a woman to succeed going from single to marrying someone who's trustworthy mm-hmm. so having physical boundaries is ob- is obviously the most obvious one so having mm-hmm. boundaries in place where 
um, you know, sexual boundaries. So you're not going to cross sexual boundaries with that person, um, obviously. Yeah. And even even physical boundaries are helpful though. So when I was dating Paul, my husband, um, we would we just had a boundary with one another where we wouldn't hang out in um, private, isolated, exclusive places. We just mm-hmm. didn't. So when we hung out and we were getting to know each other and our friendship and our bond was deepening, it was always in a public place. Um, it was like we'd go surfing together, we went to a cafe together, went to the shops and and because boundaries are usually crossed or it's most tempting to cross them when you don't have the accountability of other people's eyeballs, okay, when when there's <laughs> totally. not other people around. It's like they, that old cliche, mold always grows in the dark, you know, and it's like it's when you're not seen that it's more tempting to give in to the the raging hormones and the interaction and all that that's there. So rather than leading yourself into temptation, leading yourself into a tempting environment, just create an environment with that person you're pursuing that sets you up for success, sets you up for success. Yeah. Um, mental boundaries is just as important, especially in a digital generation, right? Yeah. Because Jesus connects what we think with how we behave. That's why he says in Matthew 5, he says, even if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you have lust in your heart, it is, it's going to make its way into your actions. And and so it's so, and he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's a radical, <sighs> radical command to be like, it, you're better off smashing your phone if it's causing your eyes to sin. Yes. Right? And you're better off making a radical sacrifice because the fallout from that sin is going to be worse than the sacrifice that you think you're making. And so um, having mental boundaries is uh, super important. Watch what you think and don't be scrolling excessively um, on social media. Um, Just have caution with that because because scrolling is addictive for people and it and we often scroll um, late at night when our minds are most vulnerable as well. Yeah. And it implants ideas. It awakens appetites that may not have otherwise been there. Um, it unwittingly shapes our worldview without us even knowing it. It slowly, image by image, caption by caption, can actually right. shape our worldview, right? So mm-hmm. um, we have to be super careful that it does not awaken desires in us um, that we otherwise wouldn't have had if we just um, created a healthy, wholesome, flourishing environment. And and a simple example, uh, just sort of a fun example is, you know, you might not be hungry at all and you've been eating healthy. And, and let's say you're even a diabetic, so eating sugar could kill you. All right. It's destructive. It's not a great idea to scroll on like Foodstagram Okay, to get on Instagram and start looking at your favorite like chefs and scrolling through like pastry chefs who are baking brownies and all this delicious stuff. Right. You might have felt fine before. You know, you've had dinner, you're perfectly satiated. Mm -hmm. But if you are going to look at that stuff, what we look at ignites appetites in us. And like I have been a victim of this. I'm like, I'm on a health kick. I'm doing really good. And then suddenly I watch MasterChef and I'm like, I really need ice cream now. And I didn't before. Totally, right? I'm like, I need chocolate and I need it now. And so if I were trying to be healthy or if I was a diabetic, for example, and it would make me seriously ill, I would have to implement um, fairly strict boundaries, right? Uh, And not be looking at stuff that make me want things that I shouldn't, that make me want things that are going to be destructive to me. 
Does that make sense? It really does. I feel like there, yeah. it's an area that is um, under talked about. I mean, you, this is this is the realm of all the things we're talking about in this podcast of all the things that are not talked about often. But having mm. learning to have boundaries about yeah. the content we put in front of us and recognizing the messages that are trying to come in. Um, yeah, it's in, a in it's, a, yeah trying to be innocent you know it's like oh it's just entertainment what's the big deal mm-hmm. and why are you being so legalistic nikki why are you being so legalistic it's like guys <laughs> we've watched this stuff like first of all mm-hmm. i was even i would even say i have experienced i've experienced what that feels like to see something mm-hmm. that then either that slants my mind that um causes confusion or shame like mm-hmm. i've experienced it and i have witnessed it over and over again mm-hmm. And if people don't catch it and they're not responsive to the, what the Holy Spirit is convicting them of, I've seen mm-hmm. it derail people completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, it's not legalistic to say, hey, diabetic, don't have sugar, right? Right. <laughs> or it's like, it's not legalistic to, it's called wisdom. to want to just, totally. Yeah. Or it's like, if our sin is like cancer, it's not legalistic to say, hey, we need to destroy this cancer. We have to judge this cancer. We have to remove it from the scenario or it's going to destroy the whole body, the whole person. Yes. And so that's when it comes to boundaries um, and the word of God being like a like a sharp surgeon scalpel, we have to allow it to, to get rid of the stuff so we flourish as humans and we flourish in our relationships. And so that's why boundaries are blessing and we have to view them that way. They're yeah. not God withholding. It's not legalism. It's not judgmentalism. It's not religion. It's not any of those things. It's God's intent to bless you. And his blessing is so powerful. It's so potent. It's so rich and so valuable that it demands boundaries like a gem in a museum. It demands it because that's how that. worthy and valuable and priceless his blessings to you are, especially when it comes to sex and relationships. Fantastic. Nikki has mm-hmm. been such such a joy getting to chat with you and to i'm excited to release this conversation to our audience as we as we close here could you just share like where can people find you um tell them yeah just you know tell them about about your book and where they can find that as well okay so the book is called breaking up with babel the gospel of sex dating and relating in a culture of confusion um so breaking up with babel can be found on amazon you can go to my website, which is www.breakingupwithbabel.com. But if you are not in Australia, you're better off getting it from Amazon or you can get it on Kindle too, um, just to save you the shipping prices from Australia. So it's available in almost anywhere in the world at the moment, which is really cool. You can get it on Kurong as well. Um, and you can find me personally, Breaking Up With Babel is my handle on Instagram and Nicola Dent on Instagram too. Um, you can follow me. It's N-I-K-I-L-A Dent. And I sort of up keep an update on um, you know, where I'm teaching, where I'm preaching and and things yes. like that. Um, post content here and there. And um yeah, I think that's all the info. Did you ask yeah. anything else? Yeah, that's wonderful. Um yeah. I I know that yeah, everyone who follows, they will be richly blessed. And, and I love following people that we talked about the transforming of our minds in a negative direction, but I love mm-hmm. following people where I know that if I scroll, I'm going to be edified and built up. Yes. And so I feel like, um, interacting with your content, that's what's going to, what's going to happen. They're going to just. And likewise, likewise. I love it. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. It's just a delight. We'll stay in touch and, uh, 
yeah, thank you again for just uh, releasing this, releasing this message. And we pray blessing over Australia. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.